So I'm driving home from the Angular Mountain View meetup late last night. Got a little bit of Angular on my brain. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what the Angular community really needs? They need a dope movie trailer for the Angular Air Show, right? I mean, wouldn't that be pretty sweet? It could be some Western number, like shot in ultra-wide 70 millimeter, maybe black and white to give it that gritty feel, right? We could all be on horseback riding up this majestic ridge, right? Epic soundtrack playing in the background, building up to a crescendo, then all of a sudden, boom, dramatic silence. Crack of lightning, screen flashes bright. We come thundering down as a posse in search of that elusive angular content to fill the hour. I don't know, could be pretty sweet. Too bad we don't have a budget for it because our budget's like zero dollars. So I guess we're just gonna have to roll with the regular intro of what is going on? Welcome to another episode of Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And today we're gonna be talking ngdoc.io, the unofficial Angular doc site. Joining us as panelists today, we've got Mike Brocky. Mike, what's going on? Not too much. Now I'm just thinking about how I can green screen myself and uh, get a CGI horse underneath me for the intro. Dude, that'd be sweet. I think these green screens, you can pick one up for like a kit for like 130 or something like that. Lights and green screen all. We should, we should totally do it. So Sounds good. We, also have, we also have Joe Eames joining us today as guest. Joe, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing awesome. Awesome. Good to have you here. And Keith Stewart. Keith, how's it going? Uh, doing well, Justin. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Great to have you guys here to talk about... Uh, ngdoc.io. So why don't you give us a rundown? What are we talking about here? So uh, ngdoc.io is the unofficial documentation source for Angular, which means that where the official docs are like all authored by people and they have a, you know, there's one document about this topic, one document about, about this topic, and a document about the API. There's all these great documentation that's been put out there by the community, people writing blogs and doing videos and creating sample projects on GitHub, whatever great places to learn and you just the the official docs by themselves cover lots of stuff but they just can't cover everything right so uh, there's a, a real need for there to be a great place to go and find all this awesome community content because google searches just just don't cut it um especially especially in the world of angular so a nice curated list of all these resources i think is uh, very valuable which is why i decided to implement this yeah, it's definitely something that's that's needed, right? When you think about um, this collection of lists, like not only the issue that we kind of have right now, we're still dealing with the name change, right? And the Angular 2 to it's just Angular and, and how do you Google search for that and, and drive this stuff. But also this collection, like you said, of, of all this extra material that there's so much of it great out there for Angular and Angular, AngularJS too, right? Covers AngularJS as well? Right. Yep. Yeah. Covers AngularJS as well. So to, to have that all in one spot, searchable, you know, categorized, that's, that's really cool. Really cool. So when, uh, you now you announced this at ng-conf, right? Yep, announced it at ng-conf. Uh, that was pretty pretty cool. I got up during one of the breaks and talked about the need for it. And what was funny is, man, I was scrambling, you know, in the days before. I wanted it in a certain state to feel like, yes, I could let people add it and let them go because the main part of it is, yeah, I'd gone, at the time I'd gone and, gathered up a hundred to two, maybe 200 different blog articles and put them on the site. But I wanted people to be able to go on themselves and add articles very easily. And so I needed the site to be ready for that. So I was really scrambling while I was trying to run ng-conf at the same time, right? But it was literally the day before, got it the right state so that I was okay to announce it on uh, day one of ng-conf. 
right? I think that's standard for any release, though. You're always scrambling at the end. There's something I forgot, something I missed. Oh, no, I wanted this to be better. But, you right. know, sounds and about I'd normal. Print up, I'd print up a bunch of stickers, and they went into the people's bags. So if I, like, ended up wanting to, like, pull it, I'd have to be like, go pull the stickers out <laughs> out of 1,500 bags. <laughs> Don't tell people it's not ready. Yeah, that's cool. You already had a logo. You already have a sticker for it. I mean, you, you were prepped for it, even though you did it, you're kind of hammered last minute, right? Yep. Yep. Totally. Totally. <laughs> but it was cool. It was cool to announce, and then I got a lot of positive feedback. Um, the Angular team was really excited about this as well. They had a similar idea themselves and wanted to, you know, collate a list of really good resources the community had produced. So they were really happy when I announced, I mean, I announced it to them the day before I announced it to the community. None of them knew about it either. That's very cool. Very cool. Well, during today's show, we, we're going to talk more about what it's all about, but I think we're also going to dive into some of the tech behind it. I mean, it's, I'm assuming it's built in Angular, right? We know that. Yep. Um, so we can kind of talk about some of the, the, the stuff in there and learn some more about that. It should be pretty cool. Um, so who's all involved in it? So myself, uh, I'm the primary developer on this had a little tiny bit of development help from other people, but pretty much everything has been written by me. And then Alyssa Nichol, one of your guys' regular panelists, she's done essentially all the design, right? Her husband, Zach's helped out a little bit with here and there, but Alyssa's really done all the, um, all the CSS implementation. We did have some initial like overall design done by a design artist, but Alyssa took that and ran with it. And what we've got now uh, is a Definitely a huge jump from what we started off with. And then we've got a curation team. Keith uh, here, he represents our curation team. Uh, I think we have something like four people so far on the curation team right now. Uh, we're always open for more people who want to contribute and help out. When I talked about this on uh, Adventures in Angular podcast, I mentioned that you know, I'm always looking for people that would be willing to devote a little bit of time here and there just to keep the content right and straightforward and stuff and help out where they can, you know, whenever they can. And so but the, Keith was one of the people that responded to that call. Very cool. Very cool. Keith, can you tell us a little bit about what that process is like for you to do that curation and stuff? Sure. Uh, well, when, when I came on, um, I think there were probably 80 or 90 um, uh, submissions that, that had come in and needed to be sifted through and, uh, you know, got got ready to to really be posted on the on the site. I, I some of the things that we try and do with the the submissions is like make sure that the naming conventions are, are right. Like instead of uh, naming things like Angular One, Angular Two, uh, make it Angular, Angular JS. Uh, stay consistent with what um, you know folks are calling these apps these days. And um, I, one of the key things for the site too is tagging. Uh, so. Um, now, when people are sub submitting uh, articles, they can put in whatever tags they want. They can add new tags that we don't have yet. Uh, so, you know, things can get a little out of whack sometimes or maybe inconsistent. So, so trying to keep that all in line and just make them make sense. Yeah, that, that whole curation process is super important, right? I mean, it's, it's how we go and discover the stuff. It's the ease of us as consumers to get to that content, to drill down and to find things that are relevant of what we're searching for. And, and it really needs to be curated in order to do that, you know, like you're saying. Um, so when people are submitting these things, are they they're submitting the links to their 
articles or their videos or whatnot that I'm assuming come with the title. Um, are you finessing the, the title as well to get in that stuff in there? Or is it more of like the categories that people are picking to go into and sort of thing? We're finessing the titles a little bit. I and mean, we, we try not to touch it too much, but I, things like if they call it Angular 2, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with version two of Angular. Uh, it's uh, more the the application itself. So I will we'll take the two out of that title, um, things like that. And um, uh, but that that's really the only change that we'll make to the title usually. Yeah, same uh, thing for Angular one. We'll change that to Angular JS instead of Angular one, right? But like recently, there's been a slew of articles, blogs of people talking about the new um, Angular Universal and the what is a platform server, which is about Angular 4, and so they have like 4 in the title. So we leave that there because that actually is pretty relevant. It's about specifically Angular 4, uh, or well, version 4 of, it's just Angular, right? But yeah, if it's if they put in the 2 to mean really the it's just Angular, just to mean Angular, then we try to pull that out so that we got, uh, we're helping the Angular team push forward with the right naming scheme. So since you're with the whole curation process, that means that you're actually uh, consuming the actual content as well and going through the content, correct? There's your huge selling point for bringing, bringing in uh, curators is, right. hey, look, you're, you're forcing yourself to learn as you do this. You're reading that content, you're uh, digesting that content for yourself as well, not just helping out the site. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, absolutely. As I've been going through these, I mean, there's... It's definitely exposed me to a lot more um, articles that I wouldn't normally see, uh, authors that I wasn't following before. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it's it's helpful to to go through them, go through that curation process. Uh, it's definitely a lot to learn there. Um, but but also, I you know one of the things that we need to do uh, with these is make sure that these are actually Angular topics. Uh, there there have been a few submissions uh, where. It was development related, but really not necessarily Angular. Uh, Maybe a topic that is related to Angular, but Angular is not mentioned anywhere. Uh, so I, these are not really the types of things that we want to have on the site, too. So we'll try and weed some of those out. Yeah, how's that rejection process going so far? I mean, have you had to reject a bunch? Is it pretty smooth? I mean, obviously, that's going to be a kind of a tough thing, right? Yeah, I, we've we've had to reject a, a couple of them so far, but I, not not too bad at this point. Um, and I think uh, Joe, we're still kind of working out the process around that, right? Yeah. So right now, it's very that rejection is a very manual process, but that's it's actually nice that we don't really need it very much. Most people aren't submitting in a, uh, articles that don't really apply. So normally, we don't have to worry about it. I've, we've only had to send out two rejections. No, no big deal. Yeah, because that's certainly another important part for us as consumers is knowing that we can go to this spot and get the content that we're that's relevant to what we're looking for. This this filtered down list of just Angular and just Angular JS stuff, right? Right. Yeah, so that's another important part about the whole thing is this was meant to be a community driven project, right? So it's very easy to add blogs and articles and YouTube videos yourself to the entire site. And we just go through a quick uh, approval process. Usually, again, we're just adjust, playing around with tags, but we also check to make sure it's appropriate to go on to ng-doc. But we want people to get on and easily be able to add their own stuff. If you write your own blog, great, add it. If you're following somebody else's and you don't see it on ng-doc, if you don't see some of their articles, throw them on, on for us. We 
we we really need that help, right? We can't do it all ourselves. So that that's great with that. Um, and as you get more and more content, you're probably going to need more curators. So if somebody was interested in becoming a curator, would they contact you or how would you go about uh, bringing in a new curator? Yeah, for now, just contact me. Just, you know, hit me up on Twitter or some other communication channel. Usually Twitter is the easiest. And then um, I, with everybody so far, I've had got on, jumped on a hangout and kind of explained what I'm looking for from the curators and, uh, you know, again, there's very little expectation as far as we've had a couple of people that have volunteered to join and really haven't spent any actual time, which I understand. This is open source. They're, they're busy. They're doing other things. Uh, whereas people like Keith and uh, Brad McAllister have jumped on and actually spent a fair amount of time. But uh, we put them into a Slack, in our Slack organization so that we can chat about a few items. And I kind of explain the general gist. And uh, that's the process. That's cool. All right, give me give me the pitch right now of why I should make this my homepage in my browser. Oh man, the elevator pitches. It's hard to get an elevator pitch. There's so many reasons why. Like one of the things that I love about this is it's a great way to say, I want to learn about, I don't know, route guards, right? And if I go and I look up, if I Google route guards, I get a lot of different stuff. But I'm gonna, certainly going. There's certainly going to be articles that I won't discover that way. So this is a great way to say I'm interested in this topic, and you you pick the tag for that topic, and then you see all these articles, right? That you wouldn't discover another way. There is some search box for it, but the just this. I pick a topic, and now all of a sudden I've got all these articles about that topic, and I can see what date they were published on, so I can tell how relevant they are. Um, so I think that's my that's my big selling point there for making this your homepage is Google doesn't cut it, right? This is a better place than just using, trying to do searches on Google for most things. Sometimes there's very specific stuff, right? Searching an error message or something, Google's the right place for that. But this is the place for, I need to get better at, at, at Angular in general, right? So that's why I think this is the place, why I think that's the reason to make it your homepage. And I just, uh with Google not cutting it. I mean, one, one thing there is, you know, it used to be called Angular 2, right? Now it's Angular. I and mean, it's kind of a nightmare, really Angular-specific articles these days. But I mean, we have those separated nicely for you. Um, yeah. All right. I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we talk about just what it's doing, right? Let's get into just a little bit of the details of, of what you got going on here, how you're displaying this content and that sort of thing. So uh, why don't you give us a rundown really quick, or maybe you can share your screen, or however we want to do this, but um, kind of talk about you know, what, what we're presented with when we go to the site, uh, that sort of thing. I think you're muted, muted right now, Chuck. Yeah, I'll share my screen and uh, go through it really quick. Doo -doo. All right, so it's just ngdoc.io, and what it pulls up, what, what you see initially is just like the most recent things that have been added. Um, it's not filtered to Angular 1 or Angular 2 at this point. The, the default display is just showing the last like 20 articles that have been sh thrown up there. So this is what you see. Here's the list of articles over here on the right, and then the icon tells you what they are. These are, co these are code right here, this little uh, 
I don't know if you can see my mouse very well, but it looks like a brackets. That's the icon that says that it's code where the little uh, like quotation mark on the left-hand side icon that shows that it's a blog article and there's a different one for videos. And we do have an other, uh, we have very few in there. Like there was a survey that showed up under the other. And then, so this is, you know, just the most recent stuff, but now it's time I want to learn about something. So I've kind of handpicked about 15-ish topics that I think are the more generic topics. And they're over here on the left. Animations, uh, the ahead of time compiler, best practices, the command line interface, et cetera, et cetera, right? And this list will change over time based on uh, what are really the top topics that really matter. And so you can pick any of these. Say I want to learn about animations. You just click on it. And now it's filtered down to a list. Here's all the articles that we've got about animations. But you can further drill down and say, well, if you want to deal with animations about routing, you can then select routing underneath it. And now it shows you just the articles that are about animation, tagged with both animations and routing. And if now I want to learn about routing, but I no longer care about animations, I can just unselect animations. And I'm looking at every article about routing. And I can further drill down, well, I want to know about lazy loading and routing. And there's the articles about lazy loading and routing. And the unselected tags over here on the left are tags that apply to at least one of the articles that you see in the list on the right. So it's a further drill down. Um, and that's kind of the, that's the basic UI, right? And you could switch back. So I've been looking only at uh, Angular, right? Anything that's version two or better, or higher, sorry, better. <laughs> but I can switch over to uh, Angular 1. And now we can see articles about lazy loading in Angular 1. The other thing that's really important about this whole thing, and I'm logged in as an admin, so you actually see uh, links that you wouldn't normally see. So if you're not logged in, right here, then this is what you get. You get the option to either log in, you can go to help, which just takes it over to a GitHub page where you can raise an issue. That's how we are handling that. A link to the official docs, of course, uh, a link to our Twitter channel. And then finally, uh, this is the most important thing, the ability to add resource. So if you click on this, it'll prompt you to log in with your Google account. And then you're on this little page. And this is, I mean, you know, the UI is very simple, obviously, but just you could throw in a title, URL, who the author of the, the thing is, when it was published, we're fine if you make a, a guess, right? What version it applies to. And we have a really fine control over the versioning as well, right? So 2 plus means it's anything that's about Angular itself. But if it's about one specific version of Angular 2, maybe it was a beta article, you can select beta, or it was in the release candidate, or it's about something specific to 2.2, right? If it's about Angular 1, you just select 1.x. Uh, if it's about anything specific to version 4 that was released in 4, you can select 4.x. And then we got the types, blogs, videos, courses, codes, and sample applications, and then the other. And then last would be the tags. So if I was adding something about routing, you know, then you can you just get this autocomplete. I want to deal, oh, this is about routing, right? And it's about routing guards. So I can do guards. And there you go, and then you just click save and that submits it to us so that we can then uh, check over it and make sure that everything uh, is copacetic. So we got a question uh, on the YouTube channel about, uh, are you have any plans for labeling anything that gets deprecated? So if there's an article about some deprecated API that's no longer relevant, um, or is that gonna probably just be handled by this catalog of what version that it targets? 
Yeah, so I would definitely uh, like to indicate stuff that's been deprecated. Uh, like, for example, opaque token has been deprecated. So uh, it would be nice to mark articles that, have, that talk about opaque token. There's, it's really about having curation resources, really, right? It's the more people that help out, the better it is. And especially when it comes to like authors of your own blogs. If you can go in and say, oh, well, you know, I'm adding my latest blog, but I know that six months ago I wrote a blog article about opaque tokens specifically, so I could go in and, and uh, granted, people don't have the opportunity to uh, make edits themselves, even to the stuff that they submit, but they could raise an issue and say, hey, this article, and eventually we're going to add a feature where you can raise an issue about a specific article and say, hey, this is, uh, you know, something's incorrect about what is shown here. But when you're adding something new, right, and you're writing an article about opaque token that isn't already on the site, then to be able to mark it as deprecated would be nice. We don't have a deprecated mark right now. Uh, and we'll, of course, we'll have to be careful, right? If you mention opaque token, but it's not really the topic, you wouldn't want to mark the article as de deprecated, right? So again, that's it comes down to curation and curation resources. The more people that are willing to jump in and spend some time and help out with this, the better that that would be and things like that. So we actually, we have marks that indicate that it's, you can clearly see if it's in beta or release candidate. Uh, we have marks for that. And we have a lot of future plans, of course, to increase usability, but deprecation would be a great thing for us to be able to add. And it would be easy to add. It's just a matter of the getting the curation so we can go through the articles and find the ones that are deprecated and mark them. Yeah, but I think it's, it might be challenging too with the fact that like, some people could be on an older version and they need to stay on that older version, right? So they, they you still want that content available to them. So maybe the, the whole fact that you've got this, this is the version that this thing targets and supports, is maybe it's gonna be enough for people to know that like, oh cool, I'm, I'm good at that. Or maybe it needs a cap of like, oh, it's up to this version. Maybe that's yeah. it instead of like a deprecator or something. But Yeah, we have the concept of it's this version or better sort of, right? Anything that's two or better, anything that's four or better or beyond, right? And then you can, you got the betas and the release candidates, which have a special mark so people know, hey, this this article was about something that was happening in beta. But that, that is a good point, right? Like um, if you are stuck with two and haven't been able to upgrade to four and there's, you know, opaque token was the thing in two, but now it's deprecated in four, you'll want to be careful about that. So I think we'll we'll have to deal with that those sorts of situations as we come along to them. Like, how do we? What's the right way to deal with something like that? So we've got this uh, ability to share on Twitter, right? So you got that with each article. It looks like each or each resource, and each yep. resource opens up in a new tab. So that seems pretty useful to me as a user, right? Um, you mentioned that the initial load of the site it's the latest stuff, but it's not actually filtered by AngularJS or Angular 2, is that correct? And is yeah. that something that going forward you'll plan to do? Like if I want to pin this to, as my homepage, right? I, I kind of, no offense to AngularJS, but I don't want AngularJS in my list stuff. I kind of want Angular stuff. So I'm assuming there's yeah. probably going to be a way planned for We've that. already had somebody raise that issue, the fact that it looks like it's filtered to Angular, but not, not AngularJS, yet it actually does show AngularJS articles. So I think what we're going to do is we're just going to change that the default homepage shows Angular articles, the most recent Angular articles, and then you have to specifically select AngularJS if you want to see those articles, right? And then what we, the other thing that we don't have right now that will be added is when you're on that page and you're fiddling around with searches, whether you type actually a search uh, string in the search box or you've selected a tag, or switch the filter between Angular or AngularJS, it's not reflected in the URL. 
So we're going to add that so that it actually will get reflected in the URL. And that way you can bookmark. So say that you are still an Angular 1. You don't really care about Angular, you know, or you're on AngularJS. You don't care about Angular. So if you want to go to that page all the time, right, you could just bookmark that and it would have a simple URL to get right to a default page of here's the most recent 20 articles about AngularJS. Nice, nice. All right, let's, let's talk a little bit about the tech behind it, shall we? Yeah, yeah, so the tech is actually kind of a funny story. Um, when I put this together, I was really excited to, you know, build another app and actually build more like a production quality app. And I, my intention was to actually build this against a Firebase backend, right? And I was, I mean, I, I was trying to fit this in running ng-conf and still working on my courses. So time was very limited. I started playing around and trying to figure out Angular Fire for version, Angular version, uh, the current version, Angular 2 at the time, right? And deal with Angular Fire 2. So I did some Google searches on Angular Fire 2 and I was actually, Google led me astray, even though Angular Fire, you know, Firebase is a Google product, right? It led me astray, led me to this old documentation site about Angular Fire 2. And it didn't, it linked to really, it had bad information. It was very incomplete information. It was a short thing and it didn't link to anywhere else. Any official, and you go to the official docs for Angular Fire on the Firebase site, and they were all about Angular Fire 1. So I got lost. I was like, this is just isn't going to work. I was very comfortable with Mongo at the time. So I just decided I'm just going to do Mongo as a backend. Put a little Node app. I can go deploy it to Heroku. No big deal. And later on, I ended up tweeting uh, David East about it. I was like, hey, man, the documentation seems to be like completely wrong. And he's like, oh, you're looking at the wrong thing. Right? Look over here. I was like, hey, this isn't very discoverable on Google. A great example of what kind of problem this solves, right? So, you know, now if you go to the ng doc and you select Firebase or Angular Fire, you get pointed at really good resources, very current resources about this. So I was actually like, I experienced the same exact issue that I had. I used Google, it led me astray. So because of that, this is running, I guess, to Mongo backend. I'm using Express for middle tier. Uh, this is, you know, the current version of Angular. Um, I think we have a pull request to get it actually up to the current version of Angular 4 that I haven't incorporated yet, but uh, very, I, I didn't even think about using AngularJS to build this. Okay, so it's a, it's like a pseudo content site, right? It's content, but it's like dynamic content. It's kind of linking the content, but there is this need, I don't know, is there a need to be SEO friendly? And like, how are you dealing with that? A couple things like, I know this is not HTTPS right now. Are you guys planning on setting it as HTTPS? And what are you doing in terms of like initial renders? Is this something you need to be concerned about in terms of getting your stuff discoverable? Is it really more about the domain being discoverable because the content is dynamic? So you can like have this Angular boot, uh, load up and bootstrap when somebody goes to it versus like server side rendering, right? Those two things. Well, I definitely want to implement server side rendering just for performance, especially on mobile, right? I want that initial load to be fast. So we are planning to implement uh, server-side rendering here before too long. Looks like Alyssa has joined us. Hey, Alyssa. Hey, how are you guys? Doing good, doing good. Hey, we're glad to have you. We're just getting into the tech of things, so uh, just in time. So we'll have you dive here in here in a minute. Right. Uh, as far as the rest about SEO, like I want the site itself to be very SEO-friendly, but... I'm, a, I'm not 100% sure should the articles, like, should Google come over and crawl this and then be like, hey, if I search for this article, 
do I get like the ng doc link first, right? Rather than the actual article. That to me seems like that would not be advantageous. It might be good for me, you know, to drive traffic through ng doc. So in the long run, like, oh, you go to ng doc and now you're driven to that, but you're also then potentially now shown more resources. So that would be nice. But I think people would generally like to just go directly to the article that they care about. So I, I'm not super concerned about trying to get all the articles themselves very discoverable about Google. It's really about load time. So um, SEO is not a major, major concern with it, but load time definitely is for server-side rendering. Cool, and then the HTTPS thing, is that? Yeah, that's on the list. That's just a matter of me spending the time to jump through the hoops to get it hooked up. <laughs> Cool. It's, cool. It's, it's, it's on a list of about 60 items of to-dos, right? Right, right, right. Cool, okay, so uh, so you got Angular, latest, almost the latest version, right? You got Mongo, um, that sort of thing, the back end, okay. Um, so are you doing routing in this thing, uh, that sort of thing? Yep, yep. I think this, the, actual, the styling is actually another interesting point. So I originally did this using Bootstrap, right? just because I know Bootstrap fairly well and it makes things look decent. And Alyssa, when I said the name Bootstrap, she threw up a little bit in her mouth. <laughs> and she said, no, that will not work. We've got to fix that. Which actually turned out to be a really good blessing because it also reduced the package size a ton. The way that we were incorporating Bootstrap was really increasing the size of the initial package. And so when we tore it out, it, it removed quite a few hundred K from the initial download package. So we're using that. Um, we're doing routing. We're doing a lot of other stuff. All your typical things that, uh, well, I don't know about all the typical things, right? But yeah, it routes back and forth to the various pages and stuff. I don't know. Is there anything other else that's really interesting? I think there's a lot of the code that's obviously very interesting about it, but that's because I'm in the middle of, you know, I mean, they're building it. And there's also plenty of bad code, too. But I got this, I got a controller on the node side that's, I don't know, 600 lines long or something like that. Just because I was like, you know, I was in a hurry. I was trying to get it up and going. So some refactoring that needs to be done as well. Yeah, but that's server side, so nobody sees that, right? And you're definitely right. not the only one. You saw that uh, GitHub issue about how my uh, profile picture is too large. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, man, hard. I'm being called out. Like, dang. <laughs> it was intentional. I got, so, I got another question about the tech. I, I want to talk more with Alyssa about the, the styling and some of the animation stuff that's probably coming. Um, but uh, really quick before I forget, any state management that you're doing here? We're not using NGRX. I want to. I really want to use NGRX, but we're not right now. Um, that's in, that's on, on the list of refactorings is just refactor over to NGRX. At the time, I wasn't familiar with it enough that I wanted to do it because I just I needed to get it out and done. So I just punted on that, but that's on the list. And then any plans to do stuff like uh, service worker or anything like inspired by the latest angular.io release stuff? Yeah, yeah we got a pull request to do some uh, kind of do some of the PWA stuff, right? Get it towards get it hitting in that right direction. Ma Maxime Salnikov, who's an expert in this topic, spent, I don't know, a short amount of time and submitted this pull request and I need to get down there and get it incorporated. So with that, I, uh, the site actually links out to an issues repo. Uh, where is the code accessible as well? Are we able to take a look at that, to play with that, to be able to help out if we do so choose, since it is community-driven? Yeah, so the code is not right now open source, and there's only one reason for that. Well, I, there might be two reasons for that. 
The main reason for it is right now I've got passwords to the database that are in the source code. And to set it up so that the password actually isn't in the public source code and you can download it and run it against, say, like a local MongoDB instance, because I'm using Mongo, it's a Mongo Atlas, right? So it's this hosted instance. And I don't, if, obviously, if I published a password to the DB that had rights, I could easily expose this to people screwing around with the data. So I don't want to do that. So it's a matter of one, just setting up the uh, source code in the right way so that the passwords aren't there. They're in like a key store somewhere. And also at the same time setting it up so that people can download it. And as long as they got a lo local running MongoDB instance, they can get going pretty quick or they maybe they could set up a free Atlas. Since I think Atlas has a free instance. They could set up a free Atlas instance and point at it, whatever. So there's a couple of reasons why publishing the source code right now, making it public would be bad. One, again, the password and two, just it's not ready for public consumption because to get it actually up and running, you'd have to know enough about a fair amount about Mongo to set it up. And there's no sample, you know, there's no initial data source so that you wouldn't be running against any actual data. So there's a couple problems there. There's a third reason why I haven't opened, opened up the source code and that is actually just fear, right? I've never managed an open source project from a development standpoint. It's bad enough well, I would say actually so far it's been amazing, right? Between the curation team of just the issues that people raise, they're all very small and we can either tell them, hey, we put that on the list and we'll get to it at some point. We're not gonna put it on the list or we fixed it already, right? And then the curation team, they handle by far the majority of the issues. But when it comes to dealing with submitted PRs from somebody I don't know and have to like look through the code and really understand it and see are they making anything wrong and then give them feedback if we don't like it, Right, like I'm really scared of, of that and just managing the whole process because I hear all the horror stories. So I'm not really sure what and when, how important it is to I've me to push it. I've never heard horror stories, but I've also <laughs> never managed one. What are the horror stories? Like, tell me just like one example so I have it in my head. Because I'm like, what could possibly go wrong? Right? Do, do any of you guys have exper uh, direct experience? Well, it's the internet, so there's one. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly understand where you're coming from. I just went through over the last two, three days, about two full pages of GitHub issues uh, for the CLI. So, yeah. Yeah, you issues. definitely, you definitely understand. Um, yeah, so like, there, here's examples of horror stories. One would be somebody submits a PR and it's really, really long and it doesn't quite work. So you got to spend a lot of time, just spend a lot of time going through to make, to see what it is and then decide. And now... You've decided, okay, this actually doesn't work. You can't just reject it off the bat. That's really bad form. So you got to go back to the person and say, hey, here's the reasons why this PR doesn't work. And now you've opened it up to something that is at least somewhat subjective. And now they could be angry at you and upset at you for what you said about their code. Uh, but even if they, or another thing that can happen is they just absolutely do nothing. So you felt like you just spent however many hours of your life for zero result because the person doesn't care enough to bother anymore, right? Or you could get like 50 small little tiny PRs where they want to change one little tiny thing that you don't want to change, but you got to go to 50 different places and comment and say, uh, I'm not going to accept this and here's why. Um, I know a lot of uh, open source repos actually turn off issues and they only accept PRs, right? Because issues become, like you said, Mike, this crazy thing where people just submit, uh, I got an error, right? I got this error. Here's the error message. Fix it. Yeah. And like, or, and also, 
Yeah, because I, I I'll, I'll pull out one example that I came across. Uh, I think it was earlier today. Um, it was that Yarn was not installing the correct version of something, and I'm like, I, I get that. I'm, I feel really bad for. It. I know you're doing it on a CLI project, but I, I don't really have control of fixing Yarn. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So just the time to manage that can be a real time sink, and uh, so. I don't think right now that I'd get enough contribution on the development side to counteract the, the ma management time of it. And I'd rather develop than manage. So even though, I, even though I might be able to make the project go faster and get features in faster, if it meant that I was just managing and not developing and other people were developing, that wouldn't fit my personal goals anyway. So, yeah. Well, he, so here's my idea. And I'm only throwing it out because, because Keith is currently muted is that that could be a curation task. <laughs> oh, yeah, to deal with the PRs and stuff. Yeah, like you so, know, the other thing you could do is you could blog about stuff that's interesting about what you're doing with it, right? So, I mean, that'll take a little bit of time, but maybe instead of the open source thing, you're just reporting on, um, here's what we did with Service Worker to implement it in here and maybe showing that stuff. Because that, there's probably a lot of stuff that people want to know about. Like, oh, cool, here's this in-production app of Angular. What are right. they doing here? How can I do that? How can I achieve that? One thing that would be super interesting is when you solve that problem of where do I put my key store stuff and how do I do that? I think we probably need more um, articles and information about a blueprint of what, how do we go about that because I think that's exactly one of these things that we hit when we try and build these sites and think about that and think about the open source problem. It's like, oh, I got to get all my ducks in order and how do I do that? And now I'm sweating this thing and there's not really good information about how to do that. So, yeah. Right. And, you know, there's another interesting thing that's actually going on, and that is when the CLI and publishing, right? I've actually got some issues with how the CLI works and what it produces versus actually publishing this to a production server. I'm using Heroku, as I said, so I publish through Git, Git, GitHub but um, or through Git. But uh, what the CLI is producing doesn't actually quite work right now. I've actually got to do some... Um, basically hand massaging of some of the files when I push it to production. So I can't, my development environment is not enough like my production environment for my tastes. And that's, I think, an interesting thing. And so I'm sure that Mike would probably be like, oh, you're just doing it wrong. But uh, <laughs> I also like just follow like your typical steps. So I think it's a, if, it, if I am doing it wrong, it's a common thing that people are doing wrong. And to be able to show this, like, all right, here's how I'm dealing with this, or at least give other people the idea of, oh, here's what I can do to deal with this same issue, right? So yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of useful stuff. And in some cases, publishing the source code isn't as useful as just to pull out, hey, here's the lessons that I learned from it, right? Yeah, it really depends on what people are trying to get from it, right? You have contributors, but then you also have, and the contributors part, I think that you could still have, right? If people want to actually improve the site, they can get in contact with you guys. You can set that up. You can still provide that without it necessarily being out there. So what are they getting from the open sourcing of it? And maybe it's the these lessons, right? right? Yeah. As well as the fact that you now have a perfect medium to be able to distribute that. Right, right. Quite true, quite true. Right. So uh, Alyssa, why don't we talk a little bit about the styling and maybe a little bit about animation. So styling, what did you do? Um, you know, you gave Bootstrap the boot. And are you doing like global styling, kind of your own like BEM syntax or something like that? Or are you doing component level scoping of styling? Can you tell us a little bit about that. So I don't do like, I do have like global styles in the sense of 
some base things, but I'm mainly doing a lot of styles in each component. Um, and especially since it's such a like small app, there's not a ton of, I don't know, there's not a ton of things that are, are spread across. So it's basically like you've got the homepage where all the articles are showing. And then I have different components like the home search component or the articles component or the tags component, which um, Panda was actually pinging me about earlier, which yes, it is a little jank, but I have not figured it out yet, which is one of the fun things. So like, I love, I love the UI, uh, UX, I guess, mystery where you're like, how do I solve this? And here are my parameters, right? I think that's one of the things that people don't realize are the parameters that you have when you're going in. So people are like, why don't you just do that better? And you're like, because of these 12 reasons, here's why I ended up here, right? So I think I think that's one of the hard like parts about, you guys were talking about like doing articles and sharing um, so other people can learn off of it. But I think what that's one of the hard parts is, I never know how much is enough in order to start like teaching it, right? So I feel like the animations, for instance, I added some animations and it's on a certain branch and I'm trying to get it to a point where I'm happy with it so that I can merge it into master. And I wanna show that off, but I'm like, how far into the app do I need to go before people are like, yeah, I can totally mimic that and make it happen in my own project. So I'm really struggling with that right now because I wanna share more and I wanna talk more about it. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to spend like hours going down this tree of like, and here's this file and plucking it all out or making it work in a plunker. I don't know. Do you guys have anything to speak into that? Cause that's kind of where I'm at with. <laughs> well, what are you doing for uh, like styling within these components? Like, are you writing classes? Uh, are you styling tags? Like how are you organizing that on a per component basis? What's your approach? So yes, I try to just write semantic classes and I have some base styles that are global um, that are just like, hey, all anchors do this. Um, and then inside of the components, I call out specific classes and they're supposed to be, of course, the proper way um, you name it after what it is and not what it looks like. So you don't say blue button, but you say uh, submit button, right? And so then I have classes like that. I try to be as terse, but I always lean towards uh, understanding easier versus terseness. So I have had some ridiculous class names. I don't know if they're in this app where they're like five words long, but it just needed, it needed to happen, right? So I'd much rather a noob be able to jump on the project and understand it versus like, I know I've seen a lot of classes or, um, BEM type things where it's like WU-BTN-BL and you're just like, what the fudge is BL, right? So, um, so yes, I do a lot of that. And what else? I think, what, what are we using? Is it material or what is it, Joe, that you, you included uh, for a couple prime, of the components? Prime faces. Prime. Yeah, I was like, NG, oh, NG Prime. Yes. So what, it, what is NG Prime being used on? Because there's a couple things that I haven't, refactored and those are using prime. I think our tags, I think on the article submit, yep. there's a couple of things in that form, like the tags that are, yeah. are using Tag that. autocomplete is that, um, I think some, a lot of the input boxes, I think the submit form is a lot, like half of it is the, the date picker is their, their control. I really like their, like I tried to use materials. That's kind of another interesting thing tech wise is I tried to use material for angular you know, Angular, not Angular JS, and oh my gosh, they had like six controls, right? Nothing close to what I actually needed. They didn't have anything for autocomplete. They didn't have a date picker at the time. I don't know if they still don't, but it just 
wasn't even close. Whereas the Angular material for Angular JS was has you know like fifty or sixty controls. It's just a ton. So I couldn't use material. So then I was looking around and I found uh, ng prime ng or ng prime. I can't remember. It's done by the Prime Faces people, and that actually is free, even though most of their controls are. Um, I think they're like somehow linked with the Angular team. They're not. They're totally separate. No, they've they sponsored ng-conf. As far as I know, they don't have any direct link to the Angular team. But yeah, Prime NG is awesome, man. Tons of like I don't know. They must have a hundred controls, and some of them like the kinds of like a bunch of charting controls and stuff you'd almost sometimes never use, but uh, lots of really awesome input controls and different kinds of buttons. Oh, I think our toggle switch was. Um, Ng Prime, and it might still be the toggle. Oh, you're talking, about the, you're talking about yeah. the Angular One, Angular Two. So we totally swapped that out. And I don't know if this is like a bad thing that Alyssa does, but basically, instead of learning Prime or Material or you know even the newest Bootstrap stuff, um, I just take it out and I do it custom because I've over the past year, especially with my day job, I've been there's so many times where I'm like debugging something and they're like, hey, we need this custom component to look like this. And I'm like, cool, I can make that happen. I write up the CSS, I refresh it, and I'm like, what the fudge? This isn't happening. Why isn't this happening? And it will, I just can't tell you how many hours have been spent. And it comes down to, in the inspector, I'm like, oh, and there's the bootstrap class that has like the highest priority, right? So um, not knocking on Prime. Um, not knocking on people who want to use Bootstrap and that works for them, but just as far as like what works for me, I love doing CSS. I love it so much, and I love having the freedom of being able to create whatever I want. And I really just ran into more walls using other things. So whenever I you know jumped on that toggle, for instance, I was like, ooh, I want to make it like slide over like this, and then I was like trying to make it happen. And Prime was getting in the way, and so I said, bye, Prime, and then I just made it happen. So I, again, I don't know if this is a downfall of myself, but I do know that it's just, it's easier as far as my workflow to just write it and make it happen. And yeah, so I don't, I don't know if you guys have no, any. I think that that's very, very uh, applicable. I'm, I find myself very similar. For example, we're using Prime for the autocomplete. And there's some things that it doesn't do right, and I want to change them. And this is potentially one of, like, Prime is actually great. I've really liked it so far. It's super easy to use, but it's one drawback is probably that once you get past, like, the surface use case to I want to customize this a bit, more than just a little bit, more than just maybe some theming and colors and stuff, but I want to customize some of the behavior and functionality, it actually doesn't, it's not easily discoverable and their documentation doesn't tell you really, really well, all right, you want to change this or here's how to hook into this or, or do this sort of stuff. So um, I'm keeping the autocomplete because it has so much functionality for me to reproduce it myself would just take way too much time. But there's a couple of things about how it does that I'm not really happy with. But overall, I really do like Prime. But like you said, it, you get somewhere and then eventually you want to customize it and it just doesn't quite work. And if the toolkit itself isn't super easily discoverable as to how to dig in and make that fix, then you, you just are forced to tear it off and, and do your own custom thing. Yeah, well, and I think things like that, as far as like, at least for the workflow that we've had, I think it's really great to have because if you wanted to throw in something on the front end real quick, um, and then just make functionality like you have that ability without spending too much time to play around with it and write the perfect custom thing um, So I don't know not totally knocking, you know, all CSS frameworks or libraries um, 
I guess they're not really frameworks, are they? They're just libraries. Uh, <laughs> but but no. it kind of when it when it's the thing that you do right and you're passionate about, you kind of want to code it from hand, right? I mean, that's the that's the thing. That's so you're you're ready. You want to live in that space. So yeah, are, yeah. Are you doing SAS or let or or um, just doing, CSS? Yeah, we're doing SAS. It's SCSS files. Um, so that was one of the so the first thing I did was pluck out the Bootstrap and all of the includes which if anyone's trying to do this make sure you look um because there were not only in like like the dependencies like where it's like include this include this but it's also like a couple script tags so just make sure whenever you're cleaning up that you actually make clean up um but then um that was one of the other things that i went ahead and did was just swap over the files and said to, to scss i don't really know why i haven't made the switch to sas yet i guess be, like I don't know. I like curly braces. It's really hard for me to get <laughs> like people like I'm using coffee script right now in, in the day job. And honestly, I would rather not. So <laughs> I it provides a level of consistency between your JavaScript and uh, styling. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, and I, I it doesn't bother me. My husband is a, a front end dev too, and he just loves the heck out of it, and that works for him. But personally, I like to see those braces, and it helps helps me, so I use them. But yeah, so using SCSS and then lots of flex styles. Um, I freaking love using flex all over the place, and uh, we also. I apologize to the community if there's ever anything that doesn't look pretty or wasn't fully thought out. It was probably like 2 a.m. and I was, you know, tired. So, <laughs> hey, so in that planning process, are you using any apps? Are you using like Sketch or anything, or do you just kind of think about um, it right on Notepad? I use Sketch a lot actually. Um, whenever I'm in the wireframing or comp making mode, um, Sketch is my go-to. And then it actually used to be Photoshop until the whole creative cloud thing happened, which was, I'm totally dating myself there, but <laughs> it was like a while ago. But yeah, no, I, um, I swapped over to Sketch and I actually did try GIMP a little bit, but I apparently got a German version of it. So I was using GIMP for like three months and I was just like, you know what guys, I love the German language. I'm all about like the German culture, but I just can't use this anymore. And my friends were like, what are you talking about? Our GIMP is in English. And I was like, are you serious? I thought everyone was just using like a German Photoshop like knockoff. So yeah, hilarious story. So if anyone's hunting out there, GIMP is pretty good. Just, you know, try to get your own language. Um, <laughs> and, um, but mainly it's just really, I, we've gotten so far with the app that it's just, uh, I have a, like last night, um, we had like the RC beta tags that we were talking about. And um, I was like, hey, I have this idea. So I just, made it, I literally like open up the browser, like the current site running locally and I inspect, um, and I'm in Chrome. And so I open up the inspector and I start styling and I take screenshots and I'll send a screenshot and then I'll change the styles. Cause I'm like, okay, I have this idea and then I'll make it happen. And it literally takes like two minutes and then I'll change the idea and then I'll send them to Joe and we'll go back and forth. And I don't know. Sometimes, you know, if you're getting into a more of like a, this is a brand new component you know, writing the styles in line isn't the best way because, you know, sometimes you do need to break it out and open up something like Sketch and say, here it is. But, you know, whenever it's like new little things that you can tack on, I generally just write the styles for it. And I do that in my day job too. Again, I feel like I was told at some point, this is like, you don't do this. Like you always start with like the wireframe and then you move to the comp. 
And I get that because I have had it where, you know, my boss will turn around two days later and be like, yeah, we don't want that. And so I, I get the, the idea behind, you know, don't write all this code or all these styles because you're just going to waste your time, um, you know, make sure everything is spec'd out first. But at the same time, I think it was, goes back to what you were saying earlier where it's like, if this is what you do and what you love, it's just like, it's not painful to do it that way. So I just, I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You do you <laughs> do it your way. Makes you good. You know, yeah. it's about fun and enjoyment, right? And passion. You guys, though, you always talk. So, like, I'm on this, like, front-end side so much to the point where, like, I often will be like, Joe, what is this doing? Like, and it's Angular stuff, right? But you would not believe, or maybe you would, how much Angular stuff is, like, in my personal opinion, back-end. Because I'm like, this is not, like, templating or styling or, like, you know, routing. Okay, you know, but then you guys started, you guys start talking, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I will get there one day, but there's a lot of Angular that I just don't even use on top of the whole meme stack. So I'm just, I'm impressed with all of you all. You, you go. <laughs> cool. Cool. <laughs> All right, what's what's coming in the pipeline for um, NG Dot? What planned features, that sort of thing? Um, I think the most exciting planned features are probably ratings, the ability for people to rate articles that they read. Um, I want to be careful about that because I don't want people to look at an article and say this is out of date, so therefore it's a bad article, right? I don't want that to be causing bad, and I, but I want the quality of the content. So if somebody writes a really high quality blog, I want that to show up. But I don't also want the content, the ratings to steer people away from content that they need. So I'm very careful about how we're going to implement ratings. And Alyssa and I have been talking about that uh, quite a bit. And so... That's kind of a perfect um, example, actually, of like one of the, you know, things where people are like, just do it, just add ratings, right? But like, we've talked through a lot of this and you don't want to discourage, like you're saying like, hey, I'm a brand new person to this community. I don't have a big name. I made this one blog post. You don't want to discourage those types of people because, you know, like big names are getting all the votes or something. And so just thinking through, okay, what type of rating process like has been really fun and really, I don't know, there's just a lot more variables. I think that people don't see that go into just adding little features like rating articles right so uh bookmarks is another feature that's i'm really excited about so people can go in and just bookmark articles that they particularly want and I'm, and i think i might organize it in the way of like i want a reading list right so i could quickly see all right i haven't read this here's a list of things i want to read once i read it i can like check it off and and now it's not there anymore um I mentioned before just putting the URL into searching and stuff. That'll be great for people to bookmark their, for themselves. Just use the Chrome for bookmarks and just say, all right, uh, here's a quick search that I've uh, found that are relevant articles that I want to get through, and then I could bookmark it in a Chrome. So that's another one. Um, the other feature that I'm really excited about as well is we're going to add the ability for people to put in their email address, then just like every week get emailed all the new articles that get added. And maybe they can set, oh, I only want Angular content or I only want Angular JS content or I want both. But they'll just get a list and a quick email list of all the new articles that have been added, right? You know, newsletters are really nice. I like them. I subscribe to a lot of different newsletters because I like the discoverability of, oh, what's new content that I just may spike, spark an interest or something I want to learn, right? So that's another thing that I, I definitely want to add. Um, I would like to be able to at some point index the actual content of articles so that searching would search through the actual text. 
So if you really were looking for something about opaque token and you looked at the articles that actually specifically were tagged and none of them had it, you could search and find every article that even mentioned opaque token, right? But that's that can be that's, that's a big a task. Big, yeah, big task. Full text searching is doable in Mongo, but it is a big task. So that's way that one's definitely farther down the horizon. Um, I would like I've got a ton. I, I mean my list is actually over a hundred line, 109 lines long is my list of the to-do list, the to-do list doc, document is 100 lines. I think we should talk about because I think it's hilarious that you have your to-do. I've never seen anyone put their to-do list in code. I love it, but I, and that's one of the other cool things about jumping on a new project with someone you've never programmed with is just you see how they do things and it's just always interesting to me. But yeah, he has this, is it a markdown file or is it just, yeah, it's just text, just text. And, and uh, it's just this list of, Right in the source code. I love it. Do you guys do that too as well for yours? Is this just something I haven't seen yet, but everyone's doing apparently or no? I use curly braces. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a long list and I definitely, sorry, Mike, I cut you off. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I, it depends on the day of the week. Sometimes I'll use keep. Sometimes I'll use Trello. Sometimes I'll put it in code and markdown. I was actually uh, what I was putting down a few uh, conference submissions of like titles and abstracts of things that I was thinking about. I just created a local JSON file <laughs> and was putting them in there. Right. It depends on my the day of the week. Right. Um, the last the, the last point I wanted to make was I've got a lot of things that I want to implement, and I definitely want help with the development of it. But I'm not, as I said, you know, there's some technical hurdles to open sourcing the software, and then some managerial hurdles, but. Um, I'm definitely open to people who say, I really do want to help contribute with the development of that. And I know that I've talked to some of the curators about this as well. Um, but I'm open to having people help with the actual development. But I think at this point, what I'd be looking for is somebody that was like actually willing to commit. I don't want to, for the curators, if I spend, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes explaining things and they never get on and contribute, no big deal, right? But I can't have uh, 30 people say, yeah, I'd love to help out, and then never actually. I've actually had several people say they'd like to help out, people that I know, that I trust, and I've added them to the private repo, and then they haven't done anything, which is fine, right? They're busy. But I just don't want to spend my, you know, spend too much of my time. And I also don't want to spend a lot of time teaching somebody Angular that they're like, hey, I want to learn Angular, so I'll help and come and contribute. And then it's more like a tutoring session, right? But if you happen to be somebody that's got a reasonable amount of experience with Angular and you do have time that you can devote and want to contribute, please, you know, please reach out to me. I'm, I would like to see about uh, trying to add on a few more people to the development of this uh, than already have done, um, that already, already are there. And so we hopefully move a little bit faster on some of these features. Very cool. Very cool. Well, my... Uh... Angular folder in my bookmarks bar and Google Hangouts is out of control. So I'm looking forward to offloading that to you guys and your storage and just using <laughs> ngdoc.io from here on out. So definitely cool to hear all about it. Um, good luck with all that going forward. Let's get to picks and wrap the show up here because we're at the top of the hour. So uh, Mike, you want to start out? Got some picks? I have two picks. Uh, one is a pick, and the other one is kind of a pat on the back. Uh, my first pick is uh, there's an article called Building Maintainable Angular Applications by Adam Laycock, um, assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, that goes through uh, different concepts of how to build your Angular application in a maintainable way. It's a really good article. I've seen a lot of praise for it on Twitter as well, so be, for, be sure to check that out. And the other one 
is uh, I actually just implemented a flag onto ng-new. Uh, if you do ng-new, the name of the project you want to create, and pass in the parameter or the uh, option of dash dash minimal, it will create a basically a bare-bones uh, minimal Angular application that doesn't have any of the testing or um, a whole, uh, removes a bunch of dependencies as well to get you a really quick, light application to get started and just play with. Yeah, when I when is that going to drop? That is merged in, and uh, right after this um, hangout, I'm going to work on a release with Hans, and I th think that will probably be in one dot two, possibly one dot three. I'm not sure. We we need to talk about uh, release numbers, but soon. Very cool. Very cool. That'll make it easier for us to get around and just start playing with stuff in Angular. So. Absolutely. All right, Alyssa, you got something? Yes. So Matthias wrote a blog post, um, link in the show notes, uh, but it's called A New Wave of Animation Features in Angular, and it's amazing. Like, I love this blog post, and if you were ever curious about, I know he did his talk at ng-conf, um, and like 4.2. What is it, 2? I think it's 2.2. Two. Uh, recently dropped, and that has all of the animation stuff that he talked about at ng-conf, and there were some changes. So check out this blog post. It's killer. And it's long, which is always enjoyable, because you're like, yes. <laughs> so yeah. Nice, nice. All right, mine is the Angular schematics that's coming along. Uh, Hans did a talk about it at the Angular Mountain View meetup yesterday night, and it sounds pretty cool. It's going to give us a way to kind of tap into the code of some of that generating stuff uh, and be able to write our own things, kind of combine some stuff, make our own uh, generators, files, all those kind of things, kind of tap in the power of the CLI and, and do some stuff. So be on the lookout for that. It's pretty cool. All right, our awesome guests, let's get to their picks at the very end here. Uh, Keith, got any picks for us? Yeah, I got a couple. Um, I, this first one's it's somewhat of a self-promotion, I guess, but... Uh, um, uh, I'm a, a frequent panelist on the NG Houston uh, meetup broadcast, and uh, um, I think there's some good content with we've got going on there. Uh, most of the folks on the on the panel here have actually been on it already. Joe, Alyssa, Justin, and and uh, Mike. I hear some rumors that uh, you might be coming on with us pretty soon too to talk uh, CLI. So excited about that. Um, and that's that's you guys broadcast that online, right? So anybody can jump in; they don't have to be in Houston. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have a YouTube channel. Um, we'll put that in the notes uh, as well. Um, yeah, so uh, anyone can come. Uh, we do it uh, Thursday evenings. So, yeah, come and join us. Uh, and uh, to also um, NGRX, you know, I mean, it's popular. Uh, lots of folks doing it these days. I recently switched a couple of apps that I'm working on uh, over to NGRX, and uh, it was amazing how much simpler the components got. And, Everything and um, I, you know, uh, speaking of, again of NG Houston, we've got Brandon Roberts coming on on July sixth to talk some NGRX as well. So come check that out. Awesome, very cool. And Joe, you got anything for us? Want to close it out? Sure, you bet. Uh, I'd like to at least mention the NG Doc.io Twitter account, of course. A nice thing to follow if you because it tweets out whenever a new article has actually been added. But uh, I'd like to pick uh, Dungeons and Dragons. 
I'm a huge fan of Dungeons and Dragons. I got just got into it again after like a 20 year hiatus. And I, when I was I was a kid, I think I played 40 hours a week for like a summer once when I was a teenager. But um, been playing with uh, I'm playing a group with my wife and some friends that uh, my friend and his wife and another friend and his wife, and that's been really fun. I've been DMing that, and this, I've also been playing more with my kids <laughs> while we started playing. What's that? Him. With what? Sorry, you, you broke up. Say it again. Oh, I, I said I didn't know that you were the DM. I, yeah. I knew you were playing, but I didn't know you were the dungeon master. What? Yeah, I'm DMing. And I, I DM, of course, with my kids, and it's been pretty fun. We went to the lake on uh, Sunday with our dogs, and I was pushing my kids in the lake, and then we played D&D later on that day. And in the adventure, I threw in this lake that they went by and this creature reached out with these tentacles and started dragging them into the lake. And he rose out of the uh, water and he was this balding, pudgy <laughs> monster that was trying to drag him in the lake and yelling. At, it was just really fun. And none of the kids got it until afterwards. I was like, did you guys not really recognize that? And then they were so mad. It's like the ultimate dad joke to throw a D&D reference or a D&D monster in based on yourself. But um, it's just been really fun to play with my kids. Uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons or other role-playing games. I've just bought a role-playing game called Laser Kittens I'm excited to play. <laughs> and I bought the My Little Pony role-playing game as well. I'm going to play that this summer as well. What? Yep. yep. You have a link? I do. I'll put that in the show notes. So there you go. There's d and I'll link to the uh, these other role-playing games as well that are really awesome, especially for kids. Um, I played originally about a year ago, I played this game with my kids called Little Wizards. It's a role-playing really for kids. It's just, it's like, you know, an elementary school version of Harry Potter. They're, they're wizards and they're not really fighting. They're just trying to solve problems. And, you know, if somebody's upset, you know, if the, the bad guys are because, you know, they're, they got a thorn in their paw and they have to pull the thorn out and then everybody's hugging and it's all great. So if you're into that and want to get into it with your kids, there's a lot of really cool resources out there. So we'll put it all in the show notes. That's awesome. Are you going to plan on doing a digital edition where we can get on a Hangouts and I'll do it remotely? Oh, that would be awesome. I would be totally down with that. That would be so much fun to do a little uh, Angular uh, D&D. NGD&D. <laughs> I like hey, it. Hey, we already have shields, right? So that'd be yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I saw a, a board game coming out for uh, Big Trouble in Little China. So I don't know. That looked pretty cool, too. It wasn't a, oh, a role-playing awesome. game, but that's pretty right. cool, too. So. Right out of the 80s. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, Joe, Keith, thanks a lot for joining us today. Tell us all about ng.io. Everybody should bookmark it, make it your homepage, check it out. Uh, Mike and Alyssa, thanks for joining us. And we will see everybody next Tuesday at our regularly scheduled time. Thanks. Have a good one. Later. Thank you.